Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, I'm up at a local park this morning in South Florida, and it's just a beautiful day. Yeah, it's warm, no question. It's definitely warm out here, and it will get hotter today. But for the moment, it's just really pleasant out here, and uh, it's just a nice morning. So I wanted to take a few minutes and just share a few thoughts about the Walt Disney Company and where, where it's going. And uh, you may hear some noises in the background from birds or planes or cars or maybe some people walking. Uh, but just bear in mind, that's what was going on here. I'm at a, at a park, and this is my new routine. This is what I do pretty much every morning. I find a local park. I get to it. I do some exercise. It's just a way out, uh, a way for me to kind of uh, keep myself sharp and healthy and doing the right things. So that's what I've chosen to do. And uh, by the way, I've also um, mostly turned vegetarian at this point. And not that that matters to you, but the interesting thing is that what I've found is that I, I tend to cook more. I tend to think a little healthier. I tend to kind of think on a different path. And uh, it was just a decision we made in the household that that's what we we're going to do. I've always kind of leaned that way to a large degree anyway and didn't eat that much meat. But, you know, since I've been home for six months, we just stopped. And it's just a little something I'm sharing about myself because you see changes in yourself and you see things that are different and you see the world differently perhaps as these things go on. So that's what's changed for me. And uh, there's more. I'll get to some more other things later as I talk about Disney, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a, in a few minutes. So wanted to start off talking about how the Walt Disney Company is progressing uh, through all of this. Um, so I'm going to start with the entertainment arm and what is sports and the, uh, the things that are going on for ESPN and the, the content they're producing. So we start off with talking about uh, how they created the bubble for the MLS. Now, it was really just the games being played at the wide world of sports. The, the uh, players were staying elsewhere uh, outside of the Disney complex, but they were traveling in to play games at the wide world of sports. So Disney got a free advertisement on other sports networks that were airing the games. So that was kind of, kind of cool in their own way. Um, and then they had the NBA bubble that started off as a tremendous thing. They found that there was, the bubble really worked. They were, they were keeping people in place at various, uh, various resorts and tra- having them transfer back and forth to the, uh, uh, the ESPN sports, Wide World of Sports Complex. And they were having uh, really good success with making sure that there were no positive test results, which is tremendous. So they were doing things right and had it going wrong. And then we uh, reached an interesting point where there was suddenly a problem that happened. And this is one of the first things I wanted to talk about was this uh, social justice kind of thing that's happening in the world. That we're seeing more and more attention being paid to uh, things that are happening that are really, um, you know, kind of uh, seem out of place and seem out of time, given that we're in the 21st century and we have all this technology and we're doing so much better for ourselves. And yet there's more and more, we hear more and more about people being killed by uh, police and, uh, you know, other things that have social implications and things. And look, I don't want to go too far down that path here, but the point is it makes you stop and think. And the NBA decided they were going to pay tribute to Black Lives Matter throughout their, the entirety of their 
their time at the bubble. So they were doing that, and then suddenly you have this new thing that happened in Wisconsin where another person was killed, or was he killed? I may have been just shot and just mortally wounded. I'm, I'm not sure if he actually died or not, honestly. But in any case, it was the wrong, it was wrong, shouldn't have happened, and, you know, the players reacted. And so the players boycotted a game, a series of games on one night. And there's discussions ongoing whether the games continue to be played, whether they're postponed, what happens from here. And in a way, it doesn't matter because they're going to have their say and they're going to do what they think is right. Um, in another way, of course, it does matter that this is, you know, <laughs> these things are just insane. And you have to look at, from Disney's perspective, they're looking at it and saying, okay, we have all these, uh, these games to play, we have these contracts to, to fill rooms and have games going on, and it helps ESPN, and it has helped them tremendously to this point, and now that could come to a screeching halt. <laughs> you know, so Disney's got to tread lightly, too. It, it, you know, everyone thought that it was more likely that it was going to be a, uh, an outbreak, some sort of a positive COVID thing that happened that was, going to, uh, that was going to stop the NBA or slow it down. But it didn't turn out to be that, at least to this point. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing that's happened. So there are things beyond Disney's control. They did everything right to control the, uh, the, uh, the, the potential for a spread of COVID. And they have all the players. They have, now they have families, media, all these people in there. And it's just kind of interesting how you know, they get stuck because they can't do anything else at this point. They, they have no control over these kinds of things. So we'll see where that nets out. It may change in the next day, makes, next couple of days. I don't, I don't know. But at the moment, we just kind of have to sit here and go, okay, so that's, that uh, revenue stream may dry up and they may not have any more games to air there. ESPN, for its part, is more about entertainment than less about sports programming. Um, so they have to continue to focus on that. They don't have 24 hours of things they can talk about. Yes, there's baseball ongoing, and yes, there's the NBA ongoing, and there's the hockey playoffs. But, you know, there's not enough to talk about to fill all their time because there's just not enough games going on. So it's kind of a weird time. Yeah, there's a lot of games, but not enough to talk about full time where it just, you know, gets repetitive. I guess it always was in a way, but whatever. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's where they are with the, the, the um, sports and the, that part of the media. And that's kind of interesting. You know, I just find the whole thing interesting. Oh, I did want to point out one other thing. I noticed in the NBA games, they did something that no other league has tried, and they, they actually put virtual fans at the game. So, you know, you have in baseball, you have cardboard cutouts, and you had in the MLS, you had a screen showing fans looking at the game, though they weren't actually there, the players couldn't see it. In the NBA's case, the, pl- the players can actually see these virtual fans on the screens that are around the stadium. So it's near real time where the fans are doing something, and the players can see them, and kind of it gives them a little feeling like they're interacting with fans that are watching the game. So it's a small, a small scenario, but it's kind of neat that they have that available, and the technology allows for it. So kind of cool in its own way. Turning to the entirety of the entertainment industry and uh, what Disney is doing there, so they still can't produce any new, put on any new productions, no new movies, no new TV shows. There's a lot of things that are out of production right now. Um, and no telling when they'll come back. They have managed to get most of their uh, talk show-oriented shows back up and running via uh, uh, ver- various uh, platforms. So they have these, um, these meetings, these virtual meetings, where people are doing things, and they'll have a, a host in, a, in their house giving a, giving a uh, stand-up. Or sometimes it's not in their house, sometimes it's out somewhere else. But generally speaking, they, they have some content. And all the other networks have followed suit and are doing something similar, so at least they get some content out there. Um, and uh, they cute, come up with cute names, and I think that's kind of funny, you know, like the, uh, what was it, uh, Jimmy Kimmel's Quarantine Show or something like that on ABC, something like that. But anyway, it's very cute and clever, so they're, they're, making, they're able to generate a little bit of revenue that way and come up with a clever solution for how to, how to uh, make things work. 
But it's interesting to watch people, people perform uh, without an audience in front of them when they're used to producing it, producing their content in front of an audience. Look, I'm sitting here and I'm producing this content in front of a squirrel. And sometimes it's in front of a bird and sometimes it's in front of a duck. But it's, I can't see what you're thinking right now. You could be rolling your eyes and going, why is Dave talking about this topic? Or you could be saying something else like, wow, that's really interesting. Tell me more. I don't know that. I have no feedback mechanism as I'm talking. So it's kind of interesting that I do this all on my own like this and I really have no idea. And now all these other media people are start, starting to see things the way I see them. And you have to really kind of do what you think is right. You know, you have to think about it differently. So I find it interesting that, they, hey, welcome to my world in a way. Um, this is what I do. So just kind of funny. I, you know, just noticed that. So there's no real productions happening at this point. Now, Disney did announce they were going to launch Mulan into Dis the Disney Plus streaming service instead of releasing it to a movie theater. Now, this is the first big test case of taking what they thought was going to be a major theatrical release. Now, whether it is or it isn't or whether it's good or not is still to be seen, but they're going to launch it to specifically to uh, the uh, Disney Plus streaming service. But the caveat is they're going to charge $30 to watch it. Now, if you think about going to see a movie, right, you, uh, you take a family of four uh, to see a movie and it's eight bucks a piece, that's $32. So in a sense, you're paying the same thing to sit in your living room. This is a test case. Will this actually make a difference? Will it make an inroad? Will something happen? Will people be interested in this? Will they watch it? How much will they watch it? Because I think the entire industry is watching this to a large degree and deciding whether this is something they want to try and do in the future. Movie theaters haven't reopened in most places yet. I think many of them are, pl are planning for a September reopening uh, around the country. Not all of them, but certainly many of them, with social distancing and fewer movies to release. There's not that much content that's been produced, so what are they going to show? So they've got challenges ahead of them. And Disney is trying to take this one by the horns and say, hey, how about if we try something where we pick a price point that we think would work and see if people go for it or not? And if the movie's successful, then you may have a new model for how this all works. And movie theaters may have to find a new venue, new something that they do. Uh, not a new venue, because that's the location. Uh, but they may find something else that they have to do to be successful in some way. So it's, I find it interesting. I think the concept is really cool. I don't know what's going to happen with it. Now, on that same topic, uh, Hamilton uh, was purchased by Disney. And they put that one out there streaming as a regular part of their service. And uh, I got a chance to see it, and I got to tell you, it was nothing short of phenomenal. It was really, really good. What a good look into Alexander Hamilton's life. Look, I'm a bit of a history buff. I don't claim to know everything. I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert, certainly, but I'm a bit of a history buff. And as far as I can tell, it was a pretty fair representation of his life. And uh, so I find it, found it to be really good. And I'm glad Disney purchased it and showed it uh, on the Disney Plus streaming service because I think, in a way, it captured this sort of view of American life in a way that Walt Disney himself kind of did with some of the early things that he was doing, right? Some of the, some of the way that they, music, they musically styled this and they told the story about America would kind of fit within the whole Walt Disney scheme of things. So Lin-Manuel Miranda did a tremendous job with the show. I had never seen it before. I'd heard the music, of course, but never seen it. I uh, couldn't get to Broadway couldn't, uh, wasn't able to, to fit it into my schedule when they were traveling uh, and able to get tickets for it and whatever. So, you know, it, it, this is the first time I've seen it. And I thought it was really, really well done. So I'm glad Disney picked it up and is streaming it. And this was something that they're streaming as part of their service rather than an additional fee for their service. So, you know, kind of the, you can see the difference between the two along the way. 
So we'll see what else they produce and what other content they're able to get out there, but this is kind of interesting. Now, Bob Chapek on the third quarter call, where he was talking about Disney's future. Yes, they've lost revenue again. Yes, they're not making as much money. Yes, they've got you know other issues that are still ongoing. There's still a lot of things they have to overcome. At this point, where they are, they're doing as well as you could expect. Now, he was saying that believe the number was 100 million subscribers worldwide to the uh, Disney Plus streaming service. That's pretty amazing. Uh, so it goes to show you just how deep and far-reaching the Disney Plus streaming service is. And I know there was talk about the potential to uh, decouple ESPN and let you purchase ESPN a la carte from Disney so you could watch the ESPN networks uh, kind of on your own without having to take them through the, uh, through the um, cable providers. But they haven't announced anything about that. There's been some rumblings about it, so we'll see if they actually wind up doing that. But I find that kind of interesting because that could really change the nature of, uh, of what they do because that could certainly boost their revenue as well. Right now, they're getting that about $5 per subscriber, per subscriber through cable services. But what if they charged $10 and had half as many? They'd still be doing pretty well, right? So... You know, I find that I find the whole thing kind of interesting with the streaming service and what they're doing. Uh, Chapek also noted that he was planning on uh, disusing, selling off, uh, abandoning, whatever the right word is, uh, the some of the uh, TV channels that they have around the world. Disney owns many, many, many TV channels in many different countries. And some of them, they just don't have the profitability. You know, it costs them something to run it, to broadcast, to do whatever. And what they'd rather do is put their efforts into Disney Plus streaming now that they've got a market in many different countries. I think they're in all the 10 major countries, 10 major uh, markets around the world, and they've got good penetration into them. So if that's the case, then why do they need to continue to have TV channels around the world? So they're going to they're gonna, uh, turn off some of the TV channels in different countries. Uh, that they own, that are uh, Disney TV channels. And the asterisk there is, or the elephant in the room, if you will, is that you know that that's going to come to the U.S. as well. They'll be getting rid of some of their other channels that they have that they produce, uh, that they have content that's, that's on, that's going to different markets and you know going through different cable companies or Hulu or whatever. You know that they'll be turning off some of those channels because they want to, you know, kind of push people into different uh, channels that they want to, that they find more profitable. It costs them something to run these channels, so not all of them are going to be profitable. So we'll see. I think there's something that's going to happen there, and they're going to shake up the market in some way, and that's going to be interesting because, again, setting a model and setting a standard for others and how this is going to work is going to be really, really curious. And then finally, I wanted to talk about the Disney parks. Now, I said that early on that I had no, uh, that I'm getting out and I'm doing exercise and I'm staying home all the time. And I just wanted to clarify that I have no interest in going to the Walt Disney World Resort right now. It's open, sort of, but I'm not going there. Um, I see no reason to risk my own health, my own safety, my own welfare. Yes, arguably it's safer than anywhere else, but it's not the right time to start going back. It is the right time to start doing this podcast again. It's the right time to start talking about Disney again, but it's not the right time to start going back to the theme parks. In my opinion, that's the case. Now, that said, you know, Disney was closed for, I believe it was 117 days in total, and Disneyland is still closed. And uh, by the time they reopen, it will be well over 180 days that they are closed. So they will have been closed for six months. Now, Disney World, when they reopened, they decided to... Uh, change some of the rules. They don't allow for park hopping and they have a Disney reservation system that you have to use. This is interesting. I had expected they were going to have to have some sort of timed entry, but they didn't do that. 
In fact, they did the opposite of that, if you can imagine that, and they just let everybody come whenever they want. And you have a reservation for that day, and the park is only open for these hours. It's right now during the summer, right, because they have no summer tourists coming here. It's only open from like 9, 9 a.m. to I think it's like 6 p.m. or something like that. I think all the parks are that way. A couple of them may stay open a little later, but it's a short day. And you can come to one park one day, and that's it. So they're doing that, and they've, they've got it. You know, that's what they're, that's the model they're using right now. Now, the other part to this is that Chapek also announced that they were actively screening out the people who held annual passes from being able to get in and get the reservations. They were, they were sacrificing the feelings, the thoughts about all the people who would go in as, as uh, annual pass holders and might just show up for a couple of hours as opposed to the whole day and may not spend. They did the, they did the bean counting and they actually figured out what people spend and the day guests spend this amount and the, uh, the uh, people who are annual pass, hold, pass holders spend this amount and the people that are here on vacation spend this amount. So we're going to give the primary thing to vacation people, primarily vacation club owners, and then people who are here staying for a week at the, one of the resorts, then to day guests, and then last to annual pass holders. So the number of reservations that were available to annual pass holders was very, very small. In fact, for the first, they reopened the park um, and to pass holders first and gave them a preview and then uh, started opening it up to everyone. And for the first couple of weeks, pass holders were reporting uh, good opportunities to find uh, reservations. But then shortly after that, there were no reservations available for the next almost um, three months, four months, something like that. So annual pass holders couldn't go at all. So in spite of the fact that your pass was extended by some amount of time, you couldn't even get to the parks because you couldn't get a reservation. Now, sometimes a reservation would show up at one of the, uh, one of the, other, one of the other parks. You couldn't get it for Hollywood Studios, certainly, because of the uh, rise of the resistance. And uh, you couldn't get it for the Magic Kingdom. But occasionally, it would show up for the Animal Kingdom in Epcot if you wanted to go there. But those were your choices. So there was a little bit of a shift in philosophy there when they started to do that, that they're thinking about things differently. Well, then... I heard this interview with Disney Parks Experiences and Products Chairman Josh DeMauro, who talked with Roger Dow on the Dow Show, and uh, I thought this was an interesting little back and forth they had. So I'm going to play this for you. It's a couple of minutes long. My full credit to uh, Roger Dow for this this uh, getting this interview. I just wanted to share it with you because I thought it was interesting and worth listening to. Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of the Dow Report. It's an opportunity for all of us to hear from CEOs from America's top travel companies. Today, we're lucky enough to have Josh DeMauro with us. He's chairman of Disney Parks, Experiences, and Products. Uh, he's been with Disney since 1998 and many leadership roles. He's headed up and been president of Disneyland and Walt Disney World. He also oversaw the largest expansion that Disney's ever had, their Star Wars Galaxy Edge. Earlier this year, Josh became chairman of Disney Parks, so he oversees all the parks in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. Josh, welcome to the Dow Report. Thanks, Roger. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. First of all, Josh, uh, big thanks to your chief medical officer, Dr. Pam Heimel. She was very helpful to us as we develop health and safety guidance for the industry. I know you've adopted that and more at Disney. Can you tell us how that's going with your guests and with your cast members? This idea of people trusting Disney is a big deal. 
it's a big responsibility. And I feel that weight on my shoulders. I know our leadership team uh, feels that. So the safety of our cast members and our guests is always gonna be at the top of, of everything that we do. Um, and as we thought about reopening uh, some of our experiences around the world, broadly speaking, probably five categories that we think about. Um, the first one is just all about health and wellness. Um, as you might know now, we limit our attendance in our parks. You need a reservation to get into our parks. That obviously helps with social distancing. Uh, everyone that comes into our parks, they have to be wearing a face covering. Our cast members wear face coverings. Everybody's temperature checked, et cetera. So we're putting in a lot of layers on health and wellness uh, before our guests get here, as they get here, and as they're ex experiencing our parks. Uh, the second one is cleaning. So we've taken that to another level in terms of cleanliness in our parks and resorts and, and what that looks like. Uh, the third area, and I know a lot in the industry are taking advantage of this, is leaning in much more heavily towards uh, technology. And here what we're trying to do is limit as much contact as we can. The fourth piece is uh, new training. So with cast members coming back into these environments, we've created brand new protocols and, and training and making sure that workplace safety is at a completely new level. And then the fifth one is all about working together. So we're gonna do our part as Disney, but the guests are also gonna have to do their part. And so to your question, Roger, you know, how are we communicating? We're making sure that before our guests come, whether it be on our website or through our call centers or through our travel agent partners, the guests know exactly what to expect here and they know what their role is as well. There was a lot of work that went into this, but we're pretty proud of where we stand right now. It was great to see Walt Disney World open. I'm a Florida resident and I know the impact that you've had on the community, small businesses and the economy. How is that going and when are you gonna open California? Uh, you touched on something, uh, Roger, that's important in that uh, it's not just all about Disney. We are an economic engine. We have an impact beyond the firms of our, of our theme parks. And so I've heard from a lot of our partners uh, that they're very happy that we're open and that it changes the dynamics of their business. And this could be you know, a pizza shop outside the walls of Disney. It could be the local hotels. Uh, that, that surround our systems and even even the airlines. When we get these engines, uh, particularly these Disney parks back up and running, uh, the rest of the ecosystem starts to work as well. Um, so we're pushing really hard again to make sure we're doing it responsibly, uh, but making sure we're doing it at the right time as well. You asked about Disneyland. Um, the reality is I don't have an opening date for Disneyland right now. In fact, we don't have any California guidelines for opening. Um, and, and as soon as a, a date and those guidelines are set, I can tell you we're ready. Needless to say, we're eager to, to, to get the engine going again. I want to get cast members back to work as, as quickly as I can. We, we've talked a little about uh, what's going on in, in Orlando and in the country, but you've got nine parks around the world opening. And I often say you've got to watch what's happening in other areas of the world to understand what's happening here. What have you learned from the other parks around the world that maybe gives some encouragement to us moving forward? I think first and foremost, as I've indicated before, our guests have been very, very accepting of the new protocols that we've put in place. And that's given us confidence in, in opening our, our other theme parks around the world. Operationally, as we see people move around the park in, in different ways, as we see them ingest some of our entertainment in different ways, we're adjusting. Um, every time we see a little bit of a change in, in one area, we're adjusting in another area. We're choreographing all that, um, and we just have a, we have a great benefit of, again, of all these parks around the world and making sure that they work together. There's no question this crisis has really accelerated trends and in innovation. I know you've had to quickly act and bring technology to bear. What are the things that you've done, and how many of those things are here to stay? We figured out a way to really push hard on technology, really accelerate some of the ideas that we've had 
uh, for a long time. So you think about things like uh, reservation systems in the parks so that we can manage capacity and therefore guest experience a little bit better. It's working exceptionally well for us. Things like mobile order, Roger, so uh, you can walk up to a restaurant, have your meal ready for you when you arrive. Things like queue reservation systems that we're executing in different ways, or even how you might pay for merchandise without transacting with a credit card. And this technology, it doesn't only help us during a time of a pandemic, but I also think it actually leads to a better cast and, and guest experience. And so these are things that are helping us now, but I think they're, they're here to stay. Earlier, Josh, you spoke about how beyond the berm, uh, Disney impacts so many other businesses and, and so many uh, travel businesses or small businesses. What have you learned that you can share with them or advice that another company might take, big or small, uh, that now you've been down this journey? We are all in this thing together. Uh, and what I've been uh, so happy about and so enthused about is that the industry has come together. This is an ecosystem. I don't operate on my own. You think about travel agents and how great uh, partners they've been, um, our, our airline partners that I referenced uh, earlier, uh, hotel partners, et cetera. This is, it's all connected. And I think what's been so nice is everyone is, is sharing. Uh, and I think that's incredibly positive. And I think, you know, to be honest, I think that's something that I hope perpetuates uh, going forward as well. In terms of things that we've learned and, and what's important to us, uh, number one is brand. And I referenced this a little bit earlier. Uh, people trust brands today more than they ever have uh, before. Uh, staying connected with your guests, even when you might be closed. Uh, we were closed for, for quite a while, but we didn't just stop talking to our guests. We actually leaned into a digital format. The last one is something I'm very passionate about is just focus on what makes this whole industry work. Um, and those are our employees. And particularly in this industry, it's so important that we have uh, engaged employees. Uh, we have employees that, that understand what's happening around them and that they're ready to receive guests. Th these are the difference makers for us. And I think uh, for, for the big brands or even small brands, this is where I would be spending a lot of time. To close, I'm gonna ask you the question that everybody asks me and I don't have the answer for, it, but I'd like to know Josh's answer. When do you see things going back to normal? Oh, I wish I could. I wish I could answer that uh, simply. Um, what I do know, Roger, though, and you know this too, we will recover. There's absolutely no question about this. If there's a resilient industry, this is it. Um, we're living in it right now. People will always need to travel. People will always need to experience the things that our industry delivers. So there's no question in my mind that people need what we do. And I think, based on everything that we've talked about here, the new protocols. Um, the way that we're moving faster, the way that we're communicating more uh, effectively and transparently. We're going to come out stronger. I know that might be hard to believe right now, but I think we're going to come out stronger than we went in. And I can tell you that when our guests, when the Disney guests are ready to come back and visit our theme parks or go on our cruise ships or go on our adventures, um, we're going to be ready and we're, uh, we will invite them right back in. And I'm looking forward to that day. Josh, uh, thanks for joining us today. I've got a couple of takeaways here. One is you were extremely proactive with not only your cast members, but with your guests, and you stayed in contact with them even though you weren't open. Second, the importance of technology and innovation and how those things have been set up and are here to stay. And third, the importance of the entire industry working together, because working together is how we're gonna come back, and we will come back. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate all that you and your colleagues do for our industry. Please join us again next week. And until then, safe travels and be healthy.
Yep, you probably heard in there some really interesting nuggets. There was a couple of very interesting things he said, but I think the one that intrigued me the most was the fact that there's going to be a reservation system more, very likely to be there going forward. Now, this is the way they're going to control park attendance and make the experience better. By allowing, I'll just use the number 100,000 people into a park, uh, you know, you, you make the experience very crowded and there's a lot of time you spend, you know, uh, waiting for things, even with the FastPass Plus system, sometimes there's delays and you can't see everything you want. By putting a reservation system in, you're changing that paradigm and now you're going to reduce the number of people that would be there. Now, I could see that they might update the reservation system to have some sort of a, a different sort of entry. So you have, um, you know, you're going to monitor the number of people that are in the, that are in the park and keep the number wherever you want it. Remember that park capacity is still very low uh, right now. Um, so they could, uh, they could certainly up the capacity a little bit and have a few more pieces of availability for people that uh, want to come in as, um, as uh, you know, annual pass holders or whatever. And uh, they could maybe even get them the same day, potentially. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do and uh, how, they, how they modify this. But certainly having a reservation system is going to be interesting. And then it would be, have to be, if you want to park hop, you have to kind of let them know you want to park hop. You know, oh, I'd like to get over to Epcot. I'm in the Magic Kingdom right now. Let's see if there's availability. And then you'd be able to go over there. So they're changing the paradigm slowly but surely uh, to change what they do. And they're kind of reinventing the theme park in a different way. This is different than what I thought they were going to do as far as reinventing the theme park, but they're certainly doing something with it. And again, it's about profitability. Make no mistake. I mean, Bob Chapek's comments about you know, who they're letting in the park and how they're letting uh, day guests in or uh, the annual pass holders, this is about profitability. This is about nothing else. So there's the second piece to my little puzzle, my own little puzzle about what happens with uh, the, uh, my annual pass. Now, I haven't been to the theme park since December of last year. I went ahead and returned my annual pass. Uh, back in April when they let me do that and I got uh, it was something between 78 and 80 dollars back which is great I mean that was a nice amount of money to get back for my uh, my pass I was happy with that um, but you know you realize that you know if I had kept it I probably I probably wouldn't go for now and then let's say I wanted to go in September or October I may not be able to get a, a reservation anyway so it was kind of pointless so I think I did the right thing for now um, but I probably will pick one up again in the future but Disney's got to manage it very carefully or they will turn off a lot of people now I have heard people say in California uh, the number of annual pass holders is much higher than it is in uh, Florida now that's true of both uh, in sheer number uh, the number of annual pass holders and also in the, uh, the the ratio of annual pass holders to people who are essentially day guests or people who come on vacation and that's because Disneyland has a special place where it's uh, they don't people don't think about vacation there they think about going for a day or two so annual pass holders are much greater there and the question is will they also do the um, reservation system there too and the answer is probably yes if it's successful in Florida they're probably going to add it to uh, Disneyland so it's going to be an interesting balance and uh, we will see how this works out and what they decide to do. And that reminds me, the uh, one thing that Disney has taken very seriously is this idea of face coverings and uh, temperature screenings and making sure that people uh, are following the rules. And there's been a couple of instances where they've had to remind people several times that they have to wear their face coverings. Uh, people were playing this game of, you know, if you're actively eating or drinking, you could uh, you could wander around the park without a face mask on. And so people were like getting a soda and then just wandering around the park holding the soda and they go, I'm actively drinking. 
So Disney changed the rule and said, okay, if you're actively eating or drinking, you have to be in this relaxation zone over here or this eating zone over here, whatever it is. And you have to sit there and you have to, you have to uh, work over there. And then later, put your mask back on and you can wander around the park. And they can enforce that rule. So, it, you know, they, they keep tweaking it. Now, there was a story about um, one of the security guards at the entrance who was telling a guest that they had the wrong kind of face masks. So they don't allow gator face masks. They only allow ones that fully fit over your face and which um, appear to comply with, you know, there's certain rules about, you know, the, the, um, the coverage and uh, the material and so forth. So they're looking at making sure that they have the right, the right things on there. So they, there was a guest who came in and there, he and his family didn't have that. And so the security guard sent them away and told them they had to go and uh, exchange their face masks, could buy more at the gift shops or whatever. And they had more in their car, so they went to their car and got them. (laughs) And I guess there was still some issue with the face mask. And somebody, the guy got into an altercation with the security guard, and the security guard told them they weren't allowed in. And there wound up being a a fist fight. Of course there was. Uh, So the, the person wound up getting arrested by the sheriff's deputies, and, you know, he'll be charged with a crime. And he's saying, I didn't do anything wrong. This, this guy was abusive to me. See my previous notes about everything that's, that's kind of going on in society right now, about social justice and people you know, acting out, some people feeling that um, they're being demeaned, and other people feel like that it's somebody else is infringing on their rights. This is part of the problem we have in society right now. We just need to be kind. Just be nice to each other. It's all anybody's asking. Disney's asking you to wear a face mask for their own protection, the protection of their guests, the protection of other, uh, the cast members, of uh, you know, everybody that's there. It's not that hard. If you're going to go, you have to follow the rules. You don't follow the rules, you don't go in. It's that simple. If everybody just kind of followed along and just did things nicely, this wouldn't be an issue. Anyway, that's my little diatribe there. I guess I have a little little something to say about that. So uh, it's kind of interesting how Disney has to deal with, you know, these uh, these guests and this difference of opinion and how people think about things. It's It's been a really interesting road. And Disney, I think, overall has done a pretty good job of managing themselves. You don't hear about many stories like that. That was the one unique exception over the last, uh, I guess they opened in July, so it's been about you know six weeks they've been open now or so. Um, so you don't hear about that kind of stuff, and it's kind of interesting to finally hear something, not in a good way, but just that that's the first time you've heard of something like that. Everything else was much more subtle. And you go, okay, you know, they're, they're doing something right then. They're, they're planning it right. They're thinking about it right. Now, if they could just figure out how to handle annual pass holders, you'd be okay. So that's, you know, since I, since I can't go and I won't go at this point, uh, I'm just going to hold off and I'll go back at some point in the future. I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know what's gonna, what the future holds for us. I don't know what we're going to do. But for the moment, we'll just continue doing this. And I'll keep coming up to the park and exercising and enjoying myself. And I hope you find a routine that works for you as well, that you can find some fun things to do for yourself and uh, keep yourself occupied. Yeah. I know everybody wants to return to, in air quotes, I'm doing the air quotes symbol with my fingers right now, normal. And I get that. And we do, we all want to return to something. But remember that there, normal will be different. Whatever it is, it's going to be different when we finally get back up and running and we're reopening and we're doing things. Things are going to be different. Not everything is going to be 100% the way it was back in January or February. Uh, things are going to be a little different. You know, it's not unlike when you had, um, when you have, think, have things happen uh, like 9-11 happened and we changed the airport security and we did different things. Things changed and maybe not for the better, maybe for the better. I, I'm not here to speculate on that, but you know, it's things changed and we accepted it. So we have to just accept that things will continue to change here too. It's time for the next step in evolution. I've talked about this before in my podcast, so we'll get there. 
anyway, I don't want to go too far down that path. Uh, I just wanted to share with you kind of some updates and things that are going on. I find them really interesting. And uh, that's all I've got for today. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 